It's all very sensible this week as we start with Tata's baby SUV we saw in Geneva, but then it's caution to the winds and all that as we check out the latest Corvette. Subaru's XV is a no-nonsense family SUV that's impossible to dislike. Sandero's here to make you an offer you can't refuse. And we've got Suzuki's too. GM's legal bid to block lawsuits pertaining to its ignition switch fiasco have been rejected by the Supreme Court, which refused to hear its appeal, claiming that the suits were barred by US bankruptcy law. The court held that the plaintiffs had not been properly notified of GM's 2009 bankruptcy filing, after which it became a new legal entity and not liable for the actions of the now defunct GM, which took place before that date. If you recall this one, it seems that what happened was a lone engineer single-handedly outwitted all of the company's systems to permit the installation of a faulty item and then conceal its existence, as well as hiding the development of a modification which rectified the issue. US courts have already established that the company was aware of that issue in 2005 and that it tried to conceal it from regulators from 2012 until 2014. GM has already paid out $2.5 billion in criminal and civil penalties and settlements, as well as legal fees. Now, this move may allow claims potentially worth billions of dollars to proceed, but GM continues to dispute the decision and in any case points out that it does not establish the merit of the claims, which may not be allowed even if the case does proceed to a full hearing. We've mentioned the aerial taxis before, and you may remember this one, which was launched in conjunction with Dubai, now joined by Dallas, Texas, in a partnership which includes Uber and, wait for this, helicopter manufacturers Embraer and Bell. Uber plans to have its Uber Elevate service operational in time for the World Expo in Dubai in 2020, and it says there is every reason to expect that it can begin carrying passengers commercially by 2023. Nexon is the baby SUV without which no maker of size and substance can consider its range to be complete. India will be a big market one day and Tata will be a bigger part of it now it has a compact SUV in its lineup. The bigger version already exists. Safari did well until it started to lose out to new arrivals like Renault's Duster and from that you probably get a clear idea of the price point for these cars. Cheap and cheerful is what we're talking about here, and Nexon manages both tricks pretty easily. It's up against the Ford EcoSport we also saw in Geneva, and locally built rivals from Maruti. It'll cost from around $10,000, with price increases depending mostly on how much comfort you want to add. 
but don't be thinking it's all basic stuff. Cheerful means a big 7-inch screen, connectivity coming out of your ears, and posh Harman audio once you start parting with the bigger bucks, say around 12 grand. It has both petrol and diesel choices available, though we've heard a few people being less than complimentary about the diesel's lack of refinement. But we are well aware that in a lot of cases the extra clatter comes not from the actual engine, but from the lack of soundproofing around it. Either way, it's the same noise when you're driving. We are generally a lot better disposed towards petrol engines these days, but the 1.2 is noticeably less economical than the diesel, although it performs brightly. Diesel for distance then, especially in the countryside, and petrol for nipping smartly around town. Outsiders say that in the fullness of time, India has the potential to become the big car market. Tata has the potential to become an Indian Chevrolet or even an Indian GM. It's only the second American car that's instantly recognized around the world. Five years ago, as Corvette was being prepared for launch, GM staff kept every scrap of paper and photographed almost everything that happened, almost as if someone knew that their new model was on the brink of greatness and would one day be an icon. By the time it got its own purpose-built factory in Bowling Green, Kentucky, Corvette was 30 years old and was no longer a Chevrolet. It was a brand in its own right, and it had written most of the chapters that would enshrine it in its place in the history books, but not all of them, and what lay ahead were arguably its best and greatest achievements, some on the road, but mostly on track. It was originally conceived as a rival to the nippy European sports cars brought home by troops returning from Europe after the Second World War, and it was only ever going to be a convertible. Mega designer Harley Earl oversaw its styling. That first car was shown at the New York Autorama in 1953 in polo white, and the electrics didn't work. Its body was moulded in fibreglass and its total lack of conductivity meant the normal means of supplying the earth half of a connection didn't exist. That was all fixed up by the time it went on sale and it must be said that take-up was poor, mostly thanks to a weedy truck engine called the Stove Bolt 6. And if it hadn't been for the arrival of an enthusiastic and talented Belgian engineer called Zora Arkus Duntov, Corvette 
may well have sunk without trace. That's one reason people call him the father of the Corvette, although there are plenty of others, including disc brakes, independent suspension, fuel injection, and so on and so on. So, without Duntov, Corvette would never have been Corvette. But without Ed Cole, Chevrolet would never have become the heartbeat of America, and the reason was his masterpiece of a V8 engine, which became available in Corvette in 1955 and was soon producing one horsepower from one cubic inch of capacity, a previously unattainable level of performance. 455 horsepower is what you get from it now, but the Z06 performance version adds a supercharger, and that one delivers 650. Back in the day, you might have included Corvette under the generic umbrella of a muscle car, even though it's not one really. Part of the reason may have been that it took a fair bit of muscle to drive one. A big block manual with a blower was a total handful, and though the blower didn't make the clutch any heavier or the shifts any trickier, it certainly made you think about what gear to use, when and how, and when to use the throttle. All enthusiasts know that the ultimate Corvette was the handmade Grand Sport, which was created solely to defeat Cobra on the racetrack and did so quite comprehensively. It was a product of Duntov's private skunk works at the factory and that project was swiftly halted by the fifth floor. Now it's venerated in the ultimate grand sport model of the current Corvette and though the seven-speed manual is a thing of joy, the eight-speed auto will get you to 60 faster and there's precious little difference in fuel mileage these days. In its regular format, this is a 25 miles per gallon race car with oodles of power and all the drivability of a high-torque V8, plus the best manners chassis electronics can muster. And because it follows the best Corvette traditions of having more options and tick boxes on the order form than the human brain can easily comprehend, you can start buying well below Porsche prices and you can keep going well beyond them. Something everyone wants and most of us can afford. Now there's a novelty. We saw the Subaru XV concept in Geneva a year ago in blue, and now here's the production version as unveiled in Geneva this year in orange. Subaru seems to be going from success to success right now, and this will probably be another one, especially since it's following a well-proven formula. Underneath its orange skin and its slightly raised suspension, is a good old Impreza, really, a long-time favourite of rally fans and such people who like its unconquerable spirit and butch attitude. But that was the good old days when men were men and rallies lasted for weeks. 
These days, Impreza is a lot more refined than it used to be, but mechanically, it's still that hard-to-phase monster it always was, and that's got to be one of the big reasons that Subaru is enjoying such a long period of growth. In the USA, the numbers have been growing 3% a year for the past five years. Before that, it was slightly smaller, but always steadily upwards. And it's the same in Europe, though the numbers are smaller there and the growth fractional by comparison. But any car maker who can look at a sales report that hasn't shown a minus number in 20 years can say they're doing OK, especially when the range has been at a virtual standstill for so long in terms of technology and upgrades as well as new models. XB is a car that's desperately needed because it's that small crossover market where family buyers have assigned the bulk of their affections. This is Suru's cash guy and it probably could have done with being a bit more radical than this, at least in terms of its looks. But, as you know, Subaru sticks doggedly to its brand ethos and builds cars that do exactly what it says on the tin. So instead of departing from its path, it introduced the everything taken care of package, which includes minor dents and an annual valet as well as servicing, and lasts for three years, making the car a lot more attractive to private buyers. And it's transferable if you want to sell it within that three years as well. We're beginning to light orange too. But if you're talking value for money and private buyer appeal, then the ultimate package has to come from Dacia. And here it is, £5,995. We might need to say that again later, just in case you've forgotten. And you might well have done, because there's a lot more here than you'd expect for that kind of money. In fact, what would you expect for so little? From Smart, you could get a 4.4, which is £11,000. Virtually twice the price, in fact. It shares a lot of its mechanicals with Twingo, but the Renault is cheaper at nine and a half grand, almost twice as much as Sandero. In fact, a two-seat, two-door Smart car costs almost as much as the four-door, hardly £500 less, in fact, so the Dacia starts to look like astonishingly good value. Ah yes, but it's all very basic and ill-equipped, isn't it? Well yes, and no. There are three levels of Sandero and the cheapest chips access variant comes with grey plastic bumpers outside and grey plastic trim inside. Although not even cars from Eastern Europe are as utilitarian as they used to be, the spec sheet is still a bit like reading a mainstream car brochure from the 1980s. When a car maker wants you to know that its features include a tyre inflation kit, you know they don't have much else to boast about. Or a spare wheel. That is one of the many weird extras you can buy, and it's probably well worth the 50 quid. The tyre probably costs that much by itself. And it means you won't be faffing around in the pitch dark and freezing rain, which by law is when all punctures happen. 
On the other hand, you do get a three-year, 60,000-mile warranty, both very sensible and acceptable sets of numbers, especially when you remember that most of the people buying at this price are private owners, not fleets, and they aren't going to rack up big miles, though they may well want to add a bit of comfort or protection by splashing out on accessories. Or they may want to splash out a bit more by going up a trim level. There's Ambience and Laureate to up the ante, and now you're talking the full suite of modern toys. Once you start adding electronics and install an infotainment screen, the rest of it can be added quite reasonably, it seems, and Sandero does come with sat-nav and stuff at the top of the range. But now, the price is no longer bottom of the range, and you're easily spending Twingo money. All but 10 grand if you want the best of the best. So this is no longer cheap. Although, what else can you get for the price? Polo's another five grand. Fiesta, two and a half, and Corsa about the same. The new Kia Rio is a lot closer at 11 and a half thousand. And we have to say that none of those cars have that budget car image that's inevitably associated with Sandero. Drive one of these and you're either saying this is the best car I can afford or possibly I'm not bothered by all that bad snobbery and this is better value for money than your X, Y or Z and I'm laughing all the way to the bank. As long as you don't mind the fact that its ride lacks some of the sophistication of its pricier rivals. The basic premise of Dantia was that it was old technology transferred from Renault the practice of getting extra value from old tech by using it as a basis for cars sold in less demanding markets than the original is an old one. And if you were feeling mean, you could trace Sandera's platform back to 2002. It's been updated since then, of course, but it's not a lovely MQB jobby that makes Polo such a whiz to drive and most of us are bound to notice, though few of us will care that much and probably not five grand's worth. But this is pretty much a logical alternative to the most expensive Sandero. You can step into the Suzuki Swift that was launched last Geneva for around 11K, meaning it marginally undercuts the Kia Rio and marginally overtops the Sandero. Is it very much better than Sandero or very much worse than Rio? Probably not is the answer to both questions, but for some reason Suzuki has that workaday image in the UK that's massively far removed from the acceptance it gets with motorcycles. And that reputation stands it well in some countries. India is a big market and Maruti Suzuki is one of the brands challenging Tata for supremacy there. So once again, it's probably seen as a lot more functional than decorative. But a couple of years back, Suzuki had announced a range of new models and this is one of them. Better looking than its predecessor, lighter by a useful margin and better equipped and better appointed by another one, it's altogether a big improvement. 
It's still competing in the toughest arena against some serious competition, and it doesn't do too badly, though it's not on the top of anybody's shortlist, until you start looking at prices, and then it's worth serious consideration. Yep, nobody looking at the top of the range Sandero can afford to walk past the Suzuki showroom without looking at this too, we think. Sayat will be first to market with the new VW platform for super minis, which will later support Polo and Co, but the Spanish company gets it first and brings a host of upmarket goodies. Well, downmarket, really, with no big changes to the pricing structure. And from one big little car to another, the Fiat 500X is a pumped-up 500 in looks and platform-sharing cousin to the Jeep Renegade. It's also got a lot of appeal in sunshine countries where market gardening is a way of life and motorway commuting not so much. And finally, yes, OK, you can say it. I wasn't expecting that from Tata, and neither was anyone else, really, but this was the race mode on the stand in Geneva, delivered from a conglomerate of Tata and Jaguar Land Rover, a really clever little thing. You'll have to wait till next week to see it.